Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 4 of A New Voice of Freedom, written by Ronald Keith Messer. This podcast is taken from a series of books written under the banner of In Defense of Christianity. Podcast 183, Arguments for the Existence of God, Episode 16, is entitled The Language of Law, Part 1. We can never rise above our knowledge of the language of law. There is temporal law and there is spiritual law. Temporal law gives us freedom. Spiritual law gives us agency. Temporal language belongs to temporal laws and operates only in a fallen world. Spiritual language belongs to spiritual laws and operates everywhere, in time and in eternity, else there would be no life. We must be bilingual. We have a physical body that is temporal and understands only temporal law. The physical body is a biological machine governed by the brain. It does not have life in itself, and it does not have free will. It obeys the language of temporal law. We have a spiritual body that is made entirely of immortal spirit matter. It is governed by our immortal intelligence, which has neither beginning nor end. It has life in itself and cannot die. It continues after death of the physical body. Only because of the spirit do we have free will. Our intelligence governs our spirit. Our spirit governs our brain. Our brain governs our physical body. That is why we are not animals, and why we are not robots, and why we are not machines. We belong to eternity. Our life on temporal earth is short. We are limited by language. God is not. That is why he is omniscient and omnipotent. God assigns language to all things. He does not learn from language, and he is not guided by language. He uses language to communicate with us and we with him. Before we even utter the words, God already knows the language of the heart. Before we tell God our wants, he already knows our desires. God uses language to command our world. We use language to describe our world. We must rely upon God, not just our limited use of language, to comprehend our world. Language defines the conditions of law. The conditions of law give us free will. To God, language is deductive. To man, language is inductive and filled with uncertainty and ambiguity. Man uses language to obscure truth. God uses language to reveal truth. All of nature, even law, uses language assigned by God to communicate with each other. The DNA of the biological kingdom is but a type and shadow of the language of all creation, whether temporal or spiritual, physical or biological. Except in areas where free will exists, things do not meet and form relationships by accident. All things are governed by law, and law, though it organizes probability in the biological kingdom, 
does not depend upon accident. Just as smell, all the senses are languages, brings critters to your camp. A multitude of languages bring different forms of life together to form a symbiotic relationship. If that were not true, many species would die. There are no unforeseen accidents in nature. Only spheres attracting or repelling other spheres through language. Language is ubiquitous. Language communicates over distance. All laws have language, for all laws have conditions. Intelligence in animals is due to their ability to comprehend language. Man has higher intelligence than all animals because he comprehends more languages. From the balcony of my cabin in East Tennessee, aided by strong binoculars, I have the opportunity to observe birds. I have four bird feeders in strategic locations, each with a different seed. When one bird of a species finds my feeder, many others of the same species soon follow. The same is true with honeybees, wasps, and ants. It could possibly be that the first finds the food by accident, but I doubt it. Metaphorically, the seeds speak to the birds and flowers speak to insects. Nature has a very complex network of language. There can be no doubt, however, that birds, bees, wasps, and ants also communicate with those of its own species. Only man, who has the powers of full comprehension because of language, has the potential for complete agency and free will. Knowledge of language separates man from all other living things. Men and women are the only forms of life that have the ability to become like God because they have the ability to understand all languages. There are no accidents in law. Reliance upon chance, accident, or coincidence is why many of the theories surrounding evolution are false. Evolution is governed strictly by law and cannot exceed its boundaries. No matter how hardcore evolutionists try, Evolution cannot account for the multitudinous languages of life, or for the beginning of life, or for the origin of man, or for law. Reality is a strange thing. That which we see with our eyes, for example, is composed mostly of empty space. We are told that if all the space were eliminated in the earth, it would be reduced to the size of an orange. Those things that fall under a set of laws recognize the language of that set of laws. Only God is omniscient. Law is organized by God to create universes, galaxies, stars, planets, and earths to provide a home for life, to fill the purpose of its creation. God uses language we know nothing of. For example, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Science deals with the question, what? Religion deals with the question, why? Law explains what? God, through his apostles and prophets, explains why. Man cannot live in any environment other than the earth, because we are made of the elements of the earth, and our bodies do not understand the language of other elements. Even when man travels into space, he must carry earth with him, or he would soon die. The human spirit does not require such delicacy. The ecology of the earth was foreseen before life was placed on the earth. Evolution is too slow. All creations are independent in their own spheres because God first designed laws to be independent. Law first, creation second. To observe nature is to observe a miracle. On summer nights in East Tennessee, from my balcony overlooking Big Creek, 
I watch flickering fireflies dance their nightly dance. Their language is light. In our little hollow, surrounded by a dark forest, their little twinkling light is as bright as the starry sky, yet we are told that they give off no heat. It is perfectly conserved. In just such a way, the efficacy of law allows the universe to operate perpetually, conserving matter and energy. We only see that which is combustible. Our scientists tell us that matter and energy cannot be created or destroyed. Though we are surrounded by the appearance of death, how logical it is to assume that life cannot be created or destroyed. The physical body dies, of course. The spirit doesn't. Let me illustrate my thesis with an example. Last fall in East Idaho, my granddaughter Ray Ray and I were taking down the trampoline in our backyard. I dreaded putting the trampoline up and taking it down each year. I pinched my fingers frightfully, creating sore hands and blood blisters and a bad temper. I would clasp a short, tight silver coil and then pull with all my might trying to unhook the spring from the aluminum frame. After three or four failures and pinched fingers, I would sometimes get the spring free. Finally, Ray Ray said, Here, Grandpa, let me show you what my dad taught me. She took a loose spring from the box, hooked it to the end of the spring that hooked the trampoline to the round frame. As she pulled the end of the second spring, she effortlessly disengaged the recalcitrant coil. I was astonished. During the life of two trampolines, I had been doing it the hard way, both taking it down and putting it back together. I followed her example, and in ten painless minutes we dismantled the entire trampoline. I spent a great deal of time analyzing exactly what happened and why. Using the two springs, I noticed that only the coils connected to the hook that attached the canvas stretched. They stretched directly in proportion to their distance from the hook, the distance diminishing as you move back toward your hand. That is obviously significant because it requires energy to separate the coils. The fewer coils that must stretch, the less energy it takes to release the hook. In other words, the coils that do not stretch or separate through their inertia aid you in stretching the critical coils. The odd thing is that the hook connected to the mat is where all the work appeared to be done. The coil at the hook attached to the frame didn't appear to resist at all, making it very easy to disengage the hook from the frame. All the tension was at the other end. My explanation will not satisfy a scientist who understands the language of math, but perhaps it will be sufficient to explain why I believe in the efficacy of the language of laws. First, I realized that before using two springs, I had been doing all the work. The single spring resisted my efforts as if on purpose, requiring me to use brute force. With the single spring, the harder I pulled, the harder the spring appeared to pull against me. It was like a child stubbornly pulling against his mother. I failed more times than I succeeded. I was not properly employing the potential energy or language of the spring. The spring does not know any more math than I do, yet it obeyed the law prescribed by nature precisely. I was not successful until I discovered the language of the law that governed the spring. Before I used the second spring, I was not letting the spring do any of the work. I was trying to do it all myself. I was fighting against nature. That was my first lesson. One cannot force nature. One must obey nature. I talk about the economy and efficiency of law. For one thing, 
When pulling on a single spring, my large hands locked half the heavy coils together, the part that pinched me, so that I had to pull many times harder to get the second half of the already short coil to stretch the quarter of an inch necessary to unhook it from the frame. A short coil is harder to pull than a long coil, just as a short stick of equal circumference is harder to break than a long stick, because in a long coil, the energy is attenuated by being distributed over more rings. Before using the second spring, I was effectively cutting the size of the already short coil in half with my hands, thus, by reducing its length, making the resistance of the spring twice as strong. However, pinching the end hook with the needle nose pliers hadn't worked either, so that wasn't the full answer I was looking for. The spring refused to budge until the pent up energy was released. That didn't occur until I added the second spring. How then did the second spring release the energy of the first spring? First, it occurred to me that by hooking two springs together, I doubled the size of the spring. A long spring is easier to stretch than a short spring. Regardless of the scientific explanation, it is just a common sense fact that laymen know, but only a scientist can explain. I am no scientist, so I have to make do with more analogy. Math is the language of temporal law. Analogy is the language of spiritual law. I thought about the slinky, a different kind of coil. Each coil is thinner, flatter, more numerous, and therefore more flexible. A slow-motion camera shows that a stretched-out slinky, when dropped, is actually suspended in the air as if by magic, until the top part connects with the bottom part. Even while gravity is pulling the slinky to the ground, the tension of the spring is pulling the bottom part of the slinky up, which momentarily offsets the pull of gravity. The equal but opposite forces appear to hold the slinky in suspended animation, but only for a short time. It appears to violate natural law, but of course it doesn't. The slinky has a language, and gravity has a language. They talk to each other. Gravity had to wait for the slinky to run its course. Momentarily, there's a perfect balance, which is too fast for the naked eye to see, but can be caught in a slow-motion camera. We see that same balance everywhere in nature. It seems like a miracle, but it is a miracle we experience daily. It is further illustrated by comparing the slinky to the coils of a trampoline. First, let me say, if we wish to increase miracles, we must increase our knowledge of the language of law, both temporal and spiritual. We do not have to guess our way to heaven. With God, there is no uncertainty. Just as through obedience to the laws of nature we increase temporal blessings, through obedience to the laws of God we increase spiritual blessings. That is a secret to law that we all need to learn. To do that we must learn the language of law. But back to my analogy. Until the full exchange of energy occurs, the slinky remains suspended in the air, held up by its own internal forces. If that balance could be maintained, it could remain suspended in midair forever, but it cannot, where gravity, always positive, is constant. Once the tension of the spring is spent, gravity is unopposed. For suspension to continue, opposing forces must be equal on all points. However, the coils of a slinky are not like the thick coils of a heavy-duty spring, even one that supports a trampoline. Slinkies stretch and then recoil with ease. A trampoline spring acts on the same principle. To illustrate this, if a 200-pound man like myself jumps on the trampoline in the middle, 
the ring of coil stretches inward laterally, equal to the force of the weight being pulled vertically toward the earth by gravity. In my youth, which was a very long time ago and many pounds lighter, I could perform a two and a quarter black flips with ease on a trampoline. I didn't understand the laws, but I did understand the dynamics of a trampoline and made it serve my show-off nature. At the same point, when the energy of the fallen man is exhausted, the spring stops stretching. The spring suddenly retracts and hurls the 200-pound man high into the air with greater force than the pull of gravity, aided by the combined energy of all the springs, the dynamics illustrated by Newton's cradle. Springs have memory and want to return to their original position. That aids in the process. It is an example of the released power of the springs overcoming gravity. Gravity is the opposite of a spring. It doesn't release its power. With long, patient arms, it reaches for the man, and when the force of the springs is spent, which overpowered gravity, gravity pulls him back to the earth. In the same way, planes fall from the sky if they lose power. Momentarily, however, you are suspended in the air like the slinky. The opposing forces continue their tug-of-war until all the energy of the springs is spent. Gravity never loses its energy, but the springs do. Therefore, when it rests, the dead weight of the 200-pound man leaves a dimple in the canvas of the trampoline. But he is again suspended, held up by the inert canvas and springs, while being pulled inexorably to the ground by gravity. It is equivalent to a group of men on a prearranged signal hurling a girl high into the air while she is sitting on a canvas. Both events, the fat man and the girl, are at the mercy of the language of nature. With the men, however, the language is governed by intelligence. They agree on the secret code, a signal of one, two, three, pull. With coordinated power, they hurl the giggling girl high into the air. With the trampoline, there only appears to be artificial intelligence, as if something were given a secret signal to all the springs at once. One can almost hear the words, one, two, three, pull. At the highest point, both the young girl and the 200-pound man are suspended, going neither up nor down. The force of the springs is spent. Therefore, the thrust upward is lost. Patient gravity, seeing its chance, jerks both back to earth. The 200-pound man hit in harder than the 100-pound girl. Of course, if the 200-pound man was on the moon and the girl was on the earth, the 200-pound man would weigh only 33 pounds, a third of the girl's weight. The dynamics would change considerably, but the laws would not. We know that the trampoline is not conscious. Therefore, it must be governed by artificial intelligence, a built-in language of law that gives the appearance of consciousness. In other words, the springs have a memory, and unless deformed by a strong force, they return to their normal state of rest. Of course, that is aided by the round frame that holds the springs in place. The trampoline has been programmed, and the programmer is natural law. But who programmed natural law? Science, of course, denies God or intelligent design. Superficially, that doesn't matter. Science still progresses because laws act independently in the sphere where they are placed. However, theorists are not satisfied with the limits of science. Without scientific verification, they make a quantum leap and claim that the same intelligence that governs natural laws also governs everything, even man, ignoring the fact that man has a spirit which is not subject to natural law. In other words, science claims that man is a machine and is ruled by the same laws that govern inanimate objects. Therefore, man does not have free will.
they claim that we are robots operating by artificial intelligence. In other words, the language of law is out of our control. That is a false assumption as illustrated above. The denial of free will freezes science in the frost of false analogies and prevents them from progressing forward on issues that really matter, such as intelligent design, God, and free will. It is as if the spring is alive and has a memory, and almost human-like, and wants to return to its natural state. In effect, the secret is to get the laws of nature to do the work for you. To do that, you must speak the language of law. That is hardly a profound statement. It is what we call common sense, a thing that practical science does brilliantly, and theoretical science has largely abandoned. Law is perfect, therefore law is perfectly efficient. Instead of seeing God in the perfection of law, atheists strangely claim that we do not need God, because we have law. We could look at law as the only perpetual motion machine. Like the firefly, law uses no heat. Therefore, law never burns out. It has a perfect language. Matter obeys law and does exactly what it is told to do. To a creationist, God is the master of the universe through complete sets of laws that act independently, thus giving us free will. As a postscript, I would like to add the following. The above article was written many years ago. Today, while recording the podcast, I finally decided to research the subject and look for a scientific explanation. I discovered what you probably have already known. The entire mystery of the spring can be explained by Hooke's law. Loosely, Hooke's law is this. The force required to stretch a metal spring is directly proportional to the length of the spring. That means that doubling the length of the spring reduces the opposing force by half, and that's exactly what my granddaughter did. When I tried to force the single spring, I effectively cut it in half with my large hands, thus doubling its resistance. Therefore, by adding a second spring of equal length, I actually more than double the length, thus easily releasing the spring from the frame. A physics book will give the equation F equals minus Kx. F equals force, K is the spring constant, and X is the length of the extension. Very neatly packaged, as equations are. It is amazing how law and common sense make good companions. Keep in mind that a law explains what is happening and gives you exact predictability, but law does not explain why the law exists in the first place. Another reason for believing in intelligent design. My conclusion is this. If we wish to make a law work for us, we must know the language of law. Just as we must know the language of temporal law, we must also know the language of spiritual law. Only through understanding the language of law can we receive the blessings of law. It is that simple. If we wish nature to be kind to us, we must obey the laws of nature. In the same way, if we wish to receive any blessing from God, we must know the language of the laws that give us that blessing and obey those laws. God does not deal with chance, either in the physical world or in the spiritual world. Faith increases as our knowledge of law increases. When faith increases, miracles increase, as does hope. The cause and effect relationship is just as relevant in spiritual law as it is in temporal law. God will reveal himself only through faith, and the shortest way to faith is obedience to law.
Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.